Yo. Hi. So this week on the podcast is me. So I don't know if you even want to listen to this. Um, I don't want to listen to myself. Because mum is awful. Yeah. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Mum's great. Um, yeah. You should watch this video. Yeah, so... Um, Sal wants to watch this video, apparently. So I'm on the podcast this week talking about my addiction theory. That's what we called the video. I don't know if that's the right title for it, but give it a listen and see what you think. We're going to probably not listen to it. Yeah. Because I don't want to listen to my own voice. Weird listening to your own voice. But I know what it's about, so I'm going to come back in a minute. I did listen to my own podcast because of that. Yeah. I'm going to come back in a minute for the end of it, so you'll have all watched it, listened to it, and... We won't come back in a minute. We'll come when the video's over. Yeah. And tell you a little bit about what we thought about that podcast. Yeah? We love to help and that's a fact So we have made it our mission to find stuff out From diagnosis and education Slimming out of pure frustration Chat to folks who've been there too Collect it together and share it with you If you know someone we should speak to Send them our way and that's what we'll do We like to have our sensory natters You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny again, and I'm chatting to Lorraine again. Hi Lorraine. Hello. Um, because Lorraine has got so much experience and has absorbed herself in the in the world of um, autism and sensory disorders for many a year. And many of you will know she's going through diagnosis herself. Um, so there's an awful lot that she has experienced. And we kind of throw in a spreadsheet, ideas of things that we could talk about. And in this spreadsheet, Lorraine has chucked in Lorraine's addiction theory. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I have no idea what this is. So we'll see what happens. So Lorraine, what are you on about? Okay, so for lots of years, I've had addictions. Well, for, for as long as I can remember, I've always been addicted to something. Right. Um, it's always something that's not healthy, mm-hmm. um, even though it can be healthy. So I started to think about it, I think more because I started CBT and I've I've started to feel a bit better about myself and I can understand myself a lot more. Also, since going for my autism diagnosis, I've started to live more like myself at home rather than masking. Okay. So with a lot of this all coming together, it's made me think a lot about the things that I do and why I do them. Okay. So masking, everybody looks at masking with autism that... Um, you, you try and fit in with society. Yeah. But I think masking is not just with autism. You can mask depression. And also you can mask self-harm and self-sabotage. And I think that's where my addictions come in. So I will explain more. Yes, explain more. <laughs> so, because I'm, I'm depressed, I'm not depressed, but I suffer with depression. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who suffer with depression self-harm. Mm-hmm. I don't cut my arms and I don't do things that are obvious to self-harm mm-hmm. but I realized that my addictions were a way of self-harming but masking self-harm so that nobody knew I was doing them does that make sense that does make sense yeah that does make sense so if you're depressed and you're not really happy with yourself and yeah and and, and lot, lots of people would maybe then self-harm yeah. you're doing other harmful things that are just not quite so obvious so you're being yes, clever so in how you're harming yourself yeah, so it's like it's acceptable. People looking in would think nothing of it, mm-hmm. but I'm not doing it. So let's say anorexia, for example. Mm-hmm. I've been anorexic, but I didn't I didn't do that because I thought I was fat. Mm-hmm. I did it to self-harm. 
when I look back on it, I realise why I was doing it. It wasn't because I thought I was fat and I wanted to be thin. Um, it was a control element. Yeah. But it was also to hurt myself without anybody knowing that I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. Although people must have picked that up when that was happening. Yeah, they did, and then I swapped. Right. That's what I do. Okay. So what did you swap to? Um, bulimia. Okay. So then I'm eating. Yeah. But then being sick. So that so then throws people off the radar on the, oh, she's eating now. She's, she's eating fine. now. She's fine. Um, and then from that, that was picked up as well. So then I did exercise bulimia. So for all the calories I would eat, mm-hmm. I would then exercise them off. Okay. Um, so then it looked like I was being healthy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But again, none, none of this was because I thought I was fat or I needed to lose weight. It was nothing to do with, it wasn't an eating disorder in that sense. In in a kind of self-image sense of body yeah. thing. No, it was more... Yeah. And for a time, I thought I did have an eating disorder. Okay. Um, because I also, I've done binge eating. Right. So that's another, it's, it's like a punishment to myself. Yeah. But without anybody knowing. Okay. And again, you can binge eat and you can get, you can put weight on and people just think, oh, she's going through a rough time. Yeah. She's eating. So do, do, when, when you, looking back, were you conscious of it when you were doing it? Or is it a, sub, a subconscious level? Looking back, trying to go back into my brain at the time I was doing certain things, because I still do things now, like sometimes I'll drink too much. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely binge eating at the moment is probably the biggest mm. one that I'm, I'm struggling with. But when I was anorexic, at the time, I think I thought I was doing it to be thin. Mm. Um, it's weird because what I did at that time was I started Googling anorexic groups to find out why they were doing it. Right. Um, but not. it's hard to explain. It wasn't in a way that I wanted to be anorexic. Yeah. But it just got to the point that that's what I was doing. So if I was down and depressed, I just didn't eat. But it wasn't... Sometimes you can be depressed and you don't eat because you're not hungry or you forget to eat. Yes. I just punished myself by not eating. I don't think I realised at the time I was doing it. It's more because my head's a lot clearer these days. When I look back to what I was doing, the reasons for doing it are not what people would have thought. Yes, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So at the moment, binge eating, is that because you're feeling depressed? Is that because your depression is not under control? Um. Yeah, if... It's hard because some I've, I've been having some really good periods at the moment, a lot more good than I, I'd had like the few months before now. Yeah. had some really bad periods. So I am feeling a lot better. But I think sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm just so out of control that I need to do something. And I, I, Jamie self-harms. Mm-hmm. She gets like that. She starts scratching at her head or scratching her arms, banging her head. I, I don't want to do physical things. Mm-hmm. It's like I want to do things that will harm me in another way. So when I feel like that, I just go to the cupboard and eat and eat and eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a comfort eating. No. It's like a punishment eating. I don't know if that even makes sense, but that's just how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. So do you eat to the point where you feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just keep going. And then how do you feel after that? I feel terrible. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the point. I think I want to feel terrible. I think that's the punishment. Right. Um, because it, it was the same with all the other things like over-exercising and not eating and then being sick. None of it, I always felt bad. Mm-hmm. 
but I think I wanted to feel bad. I think I was punishing myself. Wow. So how on earth do you get a grip of that? Um, well, I think the CBT is helping with that. Yeah, Something sorry. Something just fallen over. over. <laughs> yeah, I think <clears throat> the CBT is helping. Um, I think the fact that I'm getting my own depression under control, the fact that I can actually think rationally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the whole autism thing has really helped because when I realised why I'm doing certain things and at home, Dean's accepting me as an autistic person. So that makes my life so much easier. Okay. Um, so it, it gives me the headspace to realise what I'm doing. Okay. So you now said that at home you're masking less. Mm-hmm. So what were you masking? What are you doing at home more that you weren't doing? Um, more sensory seeking. Okay. Like I've got teddy bears everywhere, fleecy blankets, things that I thought were inappropriate for an adult. Yeah. Um, but now... I've got like a blanket on every sofa. I've got teddy bears all over my bed. Much to Dean, Dean doesn't like it. He doesn't no. like the teddy bears because it's too messy. But I love them. Right. Okay. Um. So things like before, if because I'm not a touchy feely person. Yeah. Apart from with the kids. Um. So if if Dean would like touch me in the kitchen and I didn't know he was going to touch me, I would get angry before because yeah. he's touched me. Uh, yeah. But now he just doesn't because he knows how I'm going to react. He's started to back off a bit. He's starting to understand what I'm feeling. Yeah. So he's changed his behaviour behavior as well. Okay. And yeah. that helps. Yeah. So I think just the fact that I'm feeling a lot better in myself. Plus, I've met a lot of other people in very similar situations, so I can speak to them about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I've had this self-sabotage addiction conversation with a few people mm-hmm. that have totally agreed with me. Okay. So you think this is a common thing on the spectrum then? I don't know if it's a spectrum thing or a depression thing. I'm not really sure because I think people mask mask depression. I think I've masked depression because to everybody else outside of my house, I come across as happy, mm-hmm. Lorraine who just gets on with everything. I walk down the street with the dogs. I take my kids to school. I must look like I'm getting on fine with life. Mm-hmm. But then in reality, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I'm mas- I've masked that depression yeah. for as long as I can remember. Yeah. But then what, what's, what's the root cause of the depression? Or do you not For, know? No, I do now since starting CBT. Okay. Uh, I always thought it was because of Jamie being autistic. Right. And her childhood being difficult. I thought that might have started it. But actually when I've gone to CBT and we've started to go through things, it's um, more that um, I've got general anxiety, mm-hmm. OCD and post-traumatic stress. Right. Um, so that, um, th- when I first referred myself to CBT, I went to see a nurse practitioner at the doctor's and she told me that I should try therapy because she said my brain is all put together, everything in my brain is just shoved in and knotted up. She said that when somebody unpicks your brain, you start to see the reasons and that's exactly what's happened. Right. So this therapist's unpicking everything and then realising the causes for everything. And then I then understand the reasons for all these things I've been doing. Mm-hmm. it's really insightful yeah and must must so do you think that's helping you be happier be be more in control of your depression because you're understanding it more yeah definitely because um another thing was i always blame myself i'm really self-critical mm-hmm. um, and she noticed that mm-hmm. so she keeps saying to me be kind to yourself be kind to yourself mm-hmm. so now i'm starting to be less self-critical realize why these things are happening mm-hmm. and use different strategies Mm-hmm. 
So I, I have quite a logical brain and I like to know why, why things happen and how they all connect. So the anxiety, the OCD and the post-traumatic stress disorder, have they caused the depression or has the depression caused them? I think they've caused the depression. Um, I didn't realise I had any of these things because I just thought OCD is people that wash their hands a lot. Mm. Um, I can't be OCD because I don't wash my hands all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's totally not what it is at all. Um, anxiety, I didn't realise I was anxious. I was having panic attacks and I didn't know I was having panic attacks. Really? I just thought it was something that everybody was doing. Okay. I thought it was just part of life. So what do you do that's OCD? Oh, gosh, there's lots of things. When we started to look at it, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Um, so every day I have the same routine. Mm -hmm. I get up in the morning and I have to hoover the sofas before I can sit on them. Mm -hmm. So I hoover the sofas, I hoover the floors. Um, I basically do all of the downstairs housework while everybody's still asleep. Right. But until, I, I can't sit on my sofas unless they've been hoovered. Right. Um, there's no way I could sit down and have that day until those sofas are hoovered. Right. Um, like things like I can't walk past the toilet without putting bleach down it. Right. Um, just lots of little things that you yeah. don't notice until you start to write that. Because that's what I did. I started to keep a diary of things that I do. Right. Um, like if somebody else makes a bed, I go and remake it because I can't look at it the way that they've made it. Right. Folding of clothes um, has to be the way that I fold <clears> them. <throat> I go through people's drawers and refold their clothes. You sound like my husband. That's all this. Um, so what, what, what would happen if you didn't do it? And this is what we've been talking about in CBT. So she said, what would happen if you didn't hoover your sofas? I couldn't sit on them. I would feel, start to feel anxious. Mm -hmm. And then I, c I can actually feel it now because I'm thinking about it. My heart rate would go up and mm -hmm. start to get sweaty. And then this is the panic attacks that I didn't realise were panic attacks. Wow. Yeah, I just, I, um, I have tried once. I did sit down on the sofas. And I don't know why, because my sofas are new. And they're lovely. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with them. Yeah. But I just have to hoover them before I sit on them. So where does the OCD come from? What, what? Coping mechanisms. She says it's coping mechanisms. So ultimately, the, the worst part is the post-traumatic stress. Right. So from post-traumatic stress, you get your coping strategies. So cleaning is one for me. Yeah. Um, if I have a flashback, one of my things to do is clean, put some music on and clean because it stops the flashback. Right. So that then in turn has made me obsessive. Right. So trying to forget things has made me obsessive with my coping strategies and that's another thing that she's trying to unpick if I can find different better strategies right to cope with with the flashbacks so so I understand this so you have had a early life trauma which you mm -hmm. don't need to reveal mm -hmm. um and that has caused you post-traumatic stress disorder yeah which has caused you to find coping strategies so you don't think about it yeah which has led you to become OCD yeah and if you don't do those things you get anxious. Yeah. And all of that mixed together has caused you not to be very happy with who you are and you're depressed. Yeah, it's like, um, I just feel like my life's like Groundhog Day. Right. Because I just do everything to keep myself, well, I, I don't know if that's an autism thing either because of my routine. Yeah. Um, or if it's OCD or whatever, but basically every day was fit, feeling the same and that was what I think that's what was making me depressed. That I just felt there was no point in living. Because I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. <clears throat> I was just coping with life. Yeah. Yeah. So so how, how are things improving for you now? 
Um, well, because I understand it, mm-hmm. because I didn't know that I had, I had post-traumatic stress disorder, I know that I've been through traumatic things. Mm-hmm. I know what they are. But I thought post-traumatic stress disorder was soldiers that have been to war, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but when someone explains to you what a trauma actually is and how it can affect you, mm-hmm. and then I realise actually, yeah, that's what I'm dealing with every single day. Yeah. Yeah. But now I understand it, I can work not to cure it, but to I can work out strategies that, that do help. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you you don't want to cure it, but you want it to be better. Do you, well, is it possible to cure it? Is there, you know, is is it possible? Uh, well, my therapist said to me, you can only work on one thing at a time. Do you want to work on the PTSD, the OCD or the anxiety? Um, for me, the, I just sh- uh, straight away blurted out, I want the memories to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't know if it's a cure, I'm not sure, but all the things that she's teaching me, Mm. uh, my my flashbacks are definitely reducing and my life's changing. Good. Yeah. And that's that's because you're retraining how you think about things? Yeah, she's teaching me to do things to make me think differently. So if I I was having flashbacks, um, at one point I was having them all the time. So something happens to trigger a flashback. Yeah. So one flashback happened. And then I started to get multiple flashbacks of lots of different things that have happened. Um, so then I started CBT. And first of all, we just talked about everything that I've been through. And that was when she made me realise that actually what I'd been through is not normal. But I didn't realise that at first. Mm. I just thought that was my life. That's how it went. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And then she started to draw pictures of things. that. So I would do a diary at home mm-hmm. about a panic attack, which I didn't know was a panic attack. And she'd draw these pictures and she'd be like, you're having a panic attack. You've done this because of this. And mm. this is what's happened. Mm. Um, so then I started to understand that when I'm having a panic attack, I can now do something to stop it going full circle. Okay. If I put a helpful strategy in place, then that will stop me having a panic attack. So what sort of things are your strategies? Um, so one is because my grandma was like the most amazing person in the world. Mm. Um, she, she said that I should have a grounding object. So that's something that you can touch, physically touch. When you touch it, it brings you out of your flashback back to the present day so yeah. that you know you're not in that experience. Um, so I've got a grounding object, which is like a little fiddle mm-hmm. bracelet keyring. But she said another good thing is to have a smell. So straight away, I just remember my grandma. Cause my grandma's just lovely. And she ha- my grandma didn't have a sense of smell. Mm. So she had this aftershave that was absolutely disgusting. But because it was so strong, she could smell it. Right. Um, so she said, right, track that aftershave down. So I found it and I've got some. And, oh, it's rancid. But it just reminds me of my grandma. It makes me feel happy. Uh-huh. Um, so I was having a lot of traumatic nightmares. Mm-hmm. So now at night I smell the perfume. And since I've been doing that, I think I've had two nightmares. Where before, every night I was having a nightmare. Brilliant. So that smell of that perfume is making me feel happy before I go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So is it the memories that cause the panic attacks? The memories cause the flashbacks and the nightmares. Then the coping strategies, the un- unhelpful coping strategies, then cause the panic attacks, I think. Okay. I do things that are unhelpful. Right. So where, are you now able to recognise when it's happening and control the panic attack? Yeah, most of the time. It depends um, Depends how severe it is and what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm controlling the flashbacks. Like I'm using a lot of my strategies um, like audio books, never listened to audio books before. Yeah. I've always been a music person. I started mm-hmm. to download audio books, 
And so basically my brain has to be busy or I think about bad things. Right. So now I'm just listening to audiobooks all the time or podcasts. Yeah. Um, and you have to concentrate on them so you don't think about other things. Yeah. So that's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. But then surely thinking about other things, is that not part of processing it as well? Well, I think um, I've got to the point now that, that I've realised it's happened. Because a lot of it doesn't feel real yeah. because it happened long ago. You wonder if you're really making it up. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like when I've gone in and told her these things and I've thought, I've said that out loud, I know it's happened. But it just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like it, sh- it could have happened to me. Yeah. Um, so I think now, because I've never told anybody mm-hmm. the things that I've been through, now that I've said it out loud, I think I'm starting to... Well, basically, she described it as you've got a filing cabinet mm-hmm. and all your memories go into your filing cabinet, but when something bad happens, you just shove them in and shut the door. So then when you get a, a flashback, so something happens to trigger a flashback, but then all of the things start to fall out because you haven't filed them properly. Once right. that door opens, they all come out. Right. So now I think I'm putting them back in properly. Yeah. Have you ever heard of EDMR? Um, it's another, um, I'm just going to Google it here to get the correct the correct name of it. Um, it's another technique, kind of like CBT, but it's apparently all the range for eye movement desensitisation and reprocessing therapy. Right. Um, so this is supposed to be like a magic wand, so they say. I don't know an awful lot about it other than... Um, I know someone that's ha- had been through something and gone for this. So basically they're saying if you have a trauma in your life and you're, for whatever reason, at that time when the trauma happens, you're unable to process it. Um, sorry, yeah, trauma and you're unable to process it. It then becomes a bigger trauma and a big phobia and all the rest of it and can yeah. cause all the things that you're talking about. Um, most things, you have a trauma you have the time to process it and it forms a memory and and that goes away and you've dealt with it but things that for whatever reason you haven't been able to process maybe because they're too traumatic or maybe because something else happened that um you know prevented you from processing it um it causes all these traumas and and phobias and anxiety and all the rest of it moving forward and so this thing apparently rewires the brain and it's something to do with like tapping your thighs while doing something with your eyes while talking about something else and that's my very basic understanding of it it's probably nothing like that but the way I've had it explained to me is um, it then basically reroutes your brain and changes the trauma from processing to memory so it, it fast tracks the processing and puts it away nicely yeah. apparently so and I've, I've heard good things about it yeah I'll um, have to look into that yeah, have a look. I mean, it's something else, but I mean, CBT seems to be working for you at the moment. Yeah, and I think I think the fact of letting it out because that's another another example of masking. Yeah. When things have happened to me, I don't want anybody to know. Yeah. So I just pretend that I'm all happy, Lorraine, and this, you know, I'm just like everybody else. Yeah. Um. So I've there's a, like I've wrote things down in a book. Yeah. And when I've had memories, I've wrote them down because there's things that I, I can't believe had happened. Because it just totally pushed them to the back of my mind. Yeah. So is it almost like you um, experiencing it all again? Because you have just always gone, go away, that thing. Yeah, it's literally like you're watching a video in your brain on a loop. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then and... sometimes you hear certain voices or you remember a smell. Yeah. And that's really horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Dean Dean's obviously knows all about this and he's been very supportive, isn't he? Mm-hmm. 
which is great. So you've you've spoken to him about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so addictions theory then for other people, how could they identify that they're... Because it seems to me that if you work backwards, you're doing these destructive behaviours unconsciously, probably. Yeah. Um, and then it's working out, well, hang on a minute, why is that happening? And why is that happening? And unpicking it back the way. So how yeah. would... And, and you existed for so long doing destructive behaviours, but not really understanding why and connecting it back. So how yeah, would they're, someone they're recognize? Probably the, sorry, I was going to say, they're probably these coping strategies that I've put into place as well. Yeah. For the PTSD. So two things. How does someone recognise that they are doing it if if they're doing it subconsciously? And you know what I mean? Because you didn't realise yeah. really. So how, how no. first of all, do you realise that you're doing it? Um, so that you can then go and get the help you need. And secondly, what what happens if you'd never realised this? See, for me, it was because one of my... I'm not going to say I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm not an alcoholic. No. But one of my strategies is to drink alcohol. Um, and it got to the point where I thought, I can't keep doing this. This isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was different with like not eating or exercising or overeating, things like that in my brain, it wasn't a harmful thing that I needed help with. But if I carried on drinking too much, then that that's crossing a the line then. I'm mm. going into a place that could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. So I went to see the nurse practitioner woman. Mm -hmm. um, and when she asked me how many units of alcohol I was drinking, and I told her, she's the only person I'd ever told how much I drink mm. um, because I was embarrassed of it. Mm -hmm. um, but she said, right, are you addicted to alcohol? Now, I know that I'm not addicted to alcohol in an alcoholic sense. No. Um, I, that's when I realised that I'm not doing this because I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm doing this as a coping mechanism for something. And that was when she suggested going for, for the counselling. Right. Okay. Um, so, how? yeah, so that you kind of recognised that because you knew it got to the point where you needed to do something about it. So is is there anything people can do to kind of identify that sooner or has it got to get to that point before you realize i think it might have to get to that point i can't see how i would have known any other way mm -hmm. i don't know because i because you're doing something that people don't realize nobody's going to intervene and say well you, you know you're, you're doing something bad here um and dean, dean must have known how much you were drinking yeah um see with everything like the anorexia for example mm -hmm. for ages he didn't no, like he works shifts. Mm -hmm. We don't see each other all the time. Yeah. But then he did start to realise. And like with bulimia, for a long time I could get away with that. Then he started to realise. And everything, he's helped me through all of these things yeah. like throughout my life. Um, exercise is different because it just looks like you're being super healthy. Yeah. Um, I used to run 10 miles a day. Yeah. Minimum. And everyone just thought I just loved running. Yeah. And it was really good. But it was just, I was pushing my body. Till I hurt. Yeah. Um, but alcohol, another thing is overspending. Spending money that I don't have. Yeah. Because I'm just, I need to do something bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think alcohol, because he works shifts, maybe sometimes he didn't know. I mean, I'm not drinking that much that it's a massive issue. Mm. It's just that to me, alcohol is a bad, a bad road to go down. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he did. He, he has mentioned that I drink too much. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
And what, what do you think, you know, if people don't stop and have a look at their life and pause for a minute and go, well, hang on, what are the behaviours I'm happy with and what are the behaviours I'm unhappy with? And therefore, the ones that I'm unhappy with, why am I doing those? Then if, if you don't take the time to pause and self-reflect and look at your life, then potentially it, it's dangerous, isn't it? Unless you take the time out to really... It's self-care, isn't it? It's taking the Definitely. time to... And also, not everybody's going to get the opportunity to see a therapist. No. And like if the waiting list is huge, yeah. how long do you go on self-destructing Yeah. before you realise? I, I feel very lucky that I've got this woman who's helping me through it all because all of the things that I was doing to myself that were bad, mm. I really have cut down on. Mm-hmm. And it, it just feels amazing to be able to control that rather than using it to, to harm myself. Yeah, absolutely. So how long do you keep going with this woman? Is it a forever thing or? Um, usually they say you have so many sessions, like 10 sessions, one hour sessions, 10 one hour sessions, but I've been seeing her for ages and I'm not anywhere near finishing. No. No. Um, no. I've definitely noticed a difference. Good. At first, I didn't think it was going to work, and I thought, "What am I doing this for?" You know, this this is a load of rubbish. Yeah. And then we started to introduce these different strategies, and then suddenly I had this amazing week, and I was like, "Do you know what? This is actually starting to work." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you, because quite a few people I've chatted to have done CBT, and it's not worked for them. So mm-hmm. I guess it's one of those things that. Not everything is is right for everybody, but there are lots of different versions and therapies out there that people can use. And yeah. so, how how did you access it so quickly? Were you just lucky? Um, I saw the nurse practitioner. She told me to refer myself, so I went online. There was an online form to the mental health team. Sent that in straight away. I was offered a phone consultation so that they could assess what I needed. Right. So I had this woman ring me up. I told her everything. <coughs> she said we think you need CBT and you'll have an appointment within six weeks. Wow. And then I, I did, I had an appointment within six weeks and then went for the therapy and you have to make sure that you've got the right therapist. So I, I had to decide if I could work with her. Right. Apparently some therapists don't, uh, you, you don't get a bond with them. Yeah. Yeah. But luckily for me, as soon as I met her, I knew that she was going to help me. Yeah. Yeah. She just was just a nice person. Yeah. Wow. Good. <coughs> God, I've got something in my throat, sorry. Um, so, yeah, so message to the world on your addictions theory then before we finish up. Um, try and get, if you, if you see it in yourself, mm-hmm. try and get some help because there are things that you can do. Yeah. Because um, another another addiction actually smoking, which yeah. I don't do now, but I have done. Yeah. Um, and I have actually looked at some of my addictions and thought, oh, I should swap that for smoking. I should start smoking again. And how ridiculous is that? Yeah, bonkers. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think if, <coughs> if you notice this in yourself, if you see that you might be doing this, then I think most areas you can self-refer right. for counselling. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, just have a Google for your local area. Yeah. And if you think that you might be doing this for a reason, or even if you're not, or if you're doing these things because you've got an eating disorder, or you're an alcoholic, or drugs, what drugs i've never touched drugs yeah but a lot of people obviously will use yeah drugs um i've just never understood drugs i've always thought i'd be that person that dies yes yeah. <laughs> always had that in my mind um that if i ever took a drug i would die yeah yeah wonder where that comes from pippa who who some of you will know who is the one that works in customer services and i always chat that chat about this about our kids who are our eldest are 10 
both girls, and we're just going to tell them that if they if they have one cigarette, they're going to die. If they touch alcohol, they will die. If they have drugs, they will die. I'm just scared them into not having it. I think kids are brought up differently these days, though, because yeah. when we were kids, smoking didn't have health warnings. No. Um, it was actually cool. I remember at school it was cool to smoke. Yes, and it's now um, very uncool. Very uncool, yeah. And yeah. Joe will say to me, we'll walk under the subway to get home and there'll be kids smoking. He's like, oh, my God, why are they doing that? Yeah. Because everybody knows that smoking's bad. Why would you smoke? Yeah. But probably, there's probably a reason for it. Yeah. They're probably not just smoking for the sake of it. No. There might be something going on in their lives and that's their way of dealing with it. Exactly. And um, I think I think the same with anything. All of them. Absolutely. Yeah. But unfortunately, I don't think scaring my kids that they're going to die is going to work. But hey, while they're young well, enough, it might work. When I was in school, um, can you remember Leah Betts died from taking ecstasy? Yes. That was when I was maybe year 10. I was around that age where people at my age had decided to take drugs. Yeah. And they showed us a video in whatever class it was that we took. And as soon as I saw that video, I was like, no way. No. I'm not doing that. And a lot of people around me did take drugs when I was at school, but I was never, ever going to put myself in that situation. No. I know. Good good bit of work from the, the video of Leah Betts then. Yeah. Well, that might have been one of your addictions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because I've got things in my head that are definite no's. Yes. Um, and that was just, that's always a definite no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, having come into this and not having a clue what you were going to talk about, to do predictions <laughs> theory, it's been really, really interesting. I'm sure there'll be lots of people that can relate. I can certainly relate to parts of what you're saying on a number of levels. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure people will find that interesting. But I think the key message is, Take the time to have a look at yourself. I think it's important to, to self-analyse and to pause and go, right, what's going on? What could I do better? What do I not like? And then if by doing that, you identify anything that is is not productive and unhealthy and needs help, then go seek help. Yeah. yeah. I just think that every single person in the world is masking something. Yes. Everybody, whether it's just the, that you're a mum at the school gates and you're pretending that everything's fine when you've had a crap day. Yeah. We're always wearing a mask. Social, social etiquette, isn't it? It's that that you just yeah. masking so interesting. I find masking in the spectrum interesting because I know it obviously exists, but exactly like you, I think it exists at every level across. It does. Every Everyone, person. Every person. All masks the time. Something. Like all these people that live their lives on Facebook and their, their world looks perfect. That's masking. Yes. Because that's not that's not really what their life is. No. No, and I think it's that whole, you know, some stuff's private. And so you keep it private, either within your family or within yourself. So if you see someone else, you're not going to blurt out, oh, by the way, I've got OCD and anxiety and I'm going through an autistic diagnosis. It's just not socially done, is it? It's not yeah. the right etiquette. So you go, yeah, it's fine, works good. Yeah, yeah and I like, did this at the weekend. Yeah, I'll say to Jamie, are you all right? No, I'm not all right. You know, I'm not all right. Why have you asked me that question? <laughs> And that's that's a typical example of Jamie not masking because she doesn't mask anything. But most yeah. people do. If somebody asks you if you're okay, the answer is yes. Well, yeah. Fine, thank you for asking. Yeah. And that's what we learn through life. So yeah, yeah, you just answer the way you think you're supposed to answer. Yeah, that's it. But also, if if you did, well, I, I quite often do. Sometimes it's really hard. This is another thing that I think is interesting, is that I think. British society likes negative. And if if 
if stuff's positive, people don't know what to say. So say you meet someone and they go, oh, how are you doing? And you say, absolutely brilliant. Everything's wonderful. Um, my job's great. My home life's great. Everything's wonderful. They wouldn't have a clue what to say. Yeah. It would it would stop the conversation dead. Because yeah. unless you go, yeah, it's all right. God, I've got this work thing I've got to do. And it's, uh, oh, God, really have you? You yeah. know, focusing on the bad we're kind of all in our society almost trained to do that and then we all talk about the negative all the time and then we get dragged down a negative path and you try it go go and go and go and the next person you see and someone asks you how you do and say everything's brilliant so happy life's great they'll be they won't know what to say to you no and i think you would be reluctant to say that because you feel like you're showing off yeah exactly and that's not acceptable either no nothing's acceptable no it's weird that's not acceptable being miserable is not acceptable um, but because I was going to say, on the other hand, if you do meet someone and they go and you go, how are you doing? And they go, oh, God, I'm not I'm not good. It's a complete nightmare. This has happened and that's happened and blah, blah, blah. You'd almost be like, wish I'd never asked. Yeah. You know, which is why we're so trained to go somewhere in the middle, which is how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. How are you? Yeah. It, it, you're not really sharing how you're really feeling. It's just part of a social dance of exchanging hello words. It's part. It's, it's an extension of the hello isn't it? Yeah, it's like in the social confidence videos that we did. Yes. In mine, it's in daily life, I have answers ready in my brain yes. to certain questions. So it's not real. I'm not answering it how I feel. It's just that I know that's what I'm going to say. Yes. So certain people will be like, how are you? Not too bad. Yeah. That's just the the answer that comes out. Does it? Yeah, it's just for lots of different interactions, I have a set answer. Yes. And yeah. I think I think we, we, we all do. I think we all yeah. have our set answers, but... Yeah, maybe maybe we should do a week of experimenting of when someone asks us how we are, let's just tell them. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad and see see what happens. That would be really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but I find I find it fascinating. It's, it's you know, if if people haven't got something to moan about, then people don't know what to say to them. Yeah. It's 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 funny. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Another one of my things I think about a lot. Um, but yes, really fascinating. As I said, I think lots of people will relate to what you're saying and mm-hmm. find it valuable. So thank you for sharing. And as ever, always appreciate your honesty and openness with this because yeah. I think that is such a brave and big thing to do. Um, and it helps everybody else do the same, which can only benefit everybody. Yeah. I think the other thing I've learned as well is that being an adult going through an autism diagnosis is that you often get diagnosed with all these other things as well. Because as a female, or, or a male who masks, because everybody masks. Mm. But if I've gone through life masking, then that has not helped my depression at all. No. Because as soon as I get a chance to take off my mask, I'm exhausted. Yes. Um, and that's what causes a lot of other mental health issues. Yes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think having done, God, I don't know how many podcasts I've done now. You must. This one must be about the 30th or something like that. So I've spoken to a lot of people and... I am still, well, I'm not stunned. I now accept it that autism doesn't come alone. Yeah. Um, you know, it comes with a whole host of other challenges. Um, and the later you discover that, the more, the more. Yeah. there is, in, is, is what I'm seeing in, in a massive randomised control trial of 30 people, um, which isn't huge, but so far out of the 30, yeah. that's definitely something I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So early diagnosis and intervention is key, is what I feel. Yeah, and I think we are getting better. Yes, we are. Definitely. Yeah. 
because we've got more understanding. It's interesting, actually. Um, I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. I think it might be, is it Alex with the orange suit? Yeah, Alex Manners. Yeah, and he was talking about how they shouldn't be changing the names of things. It's too soon to be changing it because we're just getting used to one and then they change it to something else. I'd totally agree with that. I think if if something's getting a a lot of attention and interest and people are realising, then why change the diagnosis criteria or or the name or, no, we're not going to diagnose Asperger's anymore, we're going to do this. It's It's too soon. I know, I think that's a really valid point because I think... I still, to this day, and and I work in it every day, feel uncomfortable when I say autism or autistic or autism spectrum disorder or sensory sensory processing disorder, all these things, because I'm never quite sure which is the right one because there's so many versions out there and I don't want to upset or offend anyone. But I've I've just learned as well that they don't now diagnose sensory processing disorder separately. Um, and I think that's interesting because I see that as a totally different thing to autism. Well, they stopped diagnosing sensory processing disorder in our area. So Jamie never got that until we went for a different appointment in Newcastle. Yeah. And then from that, we got the SPD diagnosis, which I've always known that her main issue is sensory processing, not autism. Yeah. She's autistic and she does have challenges with her autism. But the sensory processing is what causes the most problems. Yes. Yeah. And and now you could I, I believe there are people that have sensory processing disorder who are not autistic. Yeah, absolutely. But it will be now it's all under the autistic spectrum disorder. So mm-hmm. you can't get just the sensory processing bit anymore. It's Yeah, and, and actually I think we're moving on and evolving again to neurodiversity. Yes. Um because there's all these other conditions like yeah. dyslexia. Yes. You know, there's so much um and mental health issues and a lot of these problems that people experience, sensory processing comes into that as well. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so I, I, I totally agree with them. I think it's bonkers. And I think if, for to be able to enable free-flowing, open, honest discussion, it would be nice if everyone was talking the same language and mm. it was all what was agreed and it wasn't changed because it gets very, very confusing. And, and for someone like me who worries about this sort of thing, I'm worried about using the right word. And if it changes, I just, I don't know. Yeah, and some people do get really offended by it. Yeah. Yeah. So but it, it, I think I think if you're asking a question, then you want to know. So, yes. Yes, yeah, so, but some people will get offended by it and it's really hard. I know. And and it just disables discussion. And mm-hmm. and by disabling discussion, we're not moving awareness and acceptance forward. And I think that should be far more important than the language, but it would help if everyone just, you know, all agreed on one common language. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we've digressed again. <laughs> the, Lorraine and I could sit and talk all day, couldn't we? Yeah, there's so much to go over. I know. But anyway, we shall leave you to it because we've got work to do. So mm-hmm. um, thank you very much once again. And yeah, we'll hear from you later in your autism diagnosis journey because we're going to cover that later, aren't we? Yeah, I'm going to chase that up actually as soon as the kids go back to school because I think it's gone over the time that they said it would be. So I'm just going to see, you know, what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that will be an interesting one when that's fresh to to talk about that entire process that you've been through. So we'll do that yeah. one at a later date. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. See you later. See you later. Bye. 
Okay, so we didn't listen to that podcast. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just relying on what mum tells me. Cause yeah, because we can't listen to my voice. Yeah. It's just really off-putting. Like, but... I, we couldn't listen to my podcast and yeah. that. We tried to, it was just so weird. So I hope everybody enjoyed that podcast. Um, the theory behind it is I always thought that I've been through a lot of things such as eating disorders, um, binge eating, anorexia, bulimia, uh, over-exercising, alcohol abuse... Um, everything probably apart from drugs because I've always been scared of drugs and I would never touch drugs. <coughs> Spoiler alert, alcohol is a drug. Okay, not illegal drugs. But basically, so this was my theory in my own head, if you've listened to the podcast, um, that a lot of these things are classed as eating disorders or um, mental health issues. I mean, they are mental health Yeah, they all are, but I saw in myself... That I don't think I was anorexic, even though I was behaving in an anorexic way, for example. Mm-hmm. It was more of a punishment to myself. So self-sabotage. And self-harm? Th- self-harm, self-sabotage. But then, the m- most amazing thing happened. After I came up with this theory in my head, I started to see other people saying similar things. Mm-hmm. And then I read this book called... Um, I've got to write it down because my memory is rubbish. Because We Are Bad, OCD and Me, by Lily Bailey. Now... I don't know if anybody's read the book, but it's really amazing. And, God, it's so scary when you listen to something that's a bit like your life. Um, But she basically talks about a very similar thing. So I'd already recorded this podcast. Then I listened to this book and I was like, oh, she's just reiterating what I've said in my podcast. I probably were like, hey, I can't relate to that at all because I do not have OCD, probably. No, probably. But, yeah, it was just amazing to listen to somebody else saying the exact same thing that I'd thought in my head. If that makes any sense. I don't know what I'm doing with my hair. Okay. So, yeah. So, we didn't listen to it. We hope you listen to it. I know exactly what I said in it. Um, I'm just not saying much because I haven't been able to watch it. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you again next week for another podcast. Mm. Bye. Mm. You know what?